All right, you ready to study the word today? All right, Isaiah 55. If you have your Bibles or whatever you have, a phone, uh, iPad, whatever, Isaiah chapter 55. And when we read the, the, uh, the whole chapter, um, last week I shared a message uh, called Take a Breath and uh, where we discovered that uh, God created Sabbath for us to, uh, to be in him. It's a gift that he gave to us. Uh, and a, a principle of the Sabbath, that, that's something that the Lord has been uh, teaching my family. And so if, if you weren't here, if you didn't hear that message, uh, you can go on our website and listen to it, share it with someone who might benefit from that, and uh, see what the Lord might say to you. This week, um, again, this message is, is coming out of uh, my personal time with the Lord. And often, as I read a passage, uh, the Holy Spirit will just start uh, illuminating things to me, and I'll just uh, write them down. And I don't know about you, but like in, in my personal time with the Lord, I have my Bible, I have a prayer journal uh, that I often write in, and uh, then I'll have some kind of supplemental read. Often I'll, I'll use uh, Oswald Chambers' My Utmost for His Highest. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that, but it's a, it's a very strong devotional help. And so uh, I, I just work through those things as the Lord uh, leads, and and um, and then I just write what I feel like the Lord is saying to me through His Word as He illuminates things, and then as He says things to me, and uh, through my prayer time. So this message is one of those uh, moments for me personally. I want to give you a little context of the passage, uh, and then we're going to dive in. Um, so in Isaiah 55, we've kind of, it's, he's been talking to about how, uh, the Israelites, um, God had told them, he said, I, I I'm going to take care of you. Uh, you just obey me. God had just been uh, telling them that, but they decided that they were going to do things their own way. Uh, and they rebelled against God and they acted in pride. And instead of depending on God, uh, they went to other things. So for their prosperity, for uh, their security, they had made bargains uh, and financial deals with Egypt. Uh, and then they didn't see this coming, but then Babylon seized Egypt. Well, guess who then Israel became beholding to once Babylon did that? The Babylon, yeah. Israel now is, is beholding to Babylon. Well, Babylon came calling for their debt, and they started, they imposed taxes. And for three years, Israel said, we're not paying them, we can't pay them, we're not paying them. And so Babylon captured Israel and exiled all of the wealthy and important Israelites into Babylon, and they left the poor and the desolate in uh, Jerusalem. They destroyed the city and everything in it, all the homes, the temple, they destroyed it all uh, and left the city in ruins. Finally, 50 years, over 50 years later, uh, the Israelites held in captivity were released to come back to Jerusalem. But by that time, over 50 something, almost 60 years, Others had taken over the land. Those that were, they didn't know anybody. Their homes had been destroyed. They had no jobs. Uh, there, there was no government in place. There was no economic system in place. There wasn't even a place for them to go to church. That's the landscape. And all of this happened to them because 
of their sin and pride and rebellion against God. Now, as I was reading this, as I was reading this passage, the Lord began to paint a picture uh, that this is how we often are spiritually. See, many of us can be in the same place right now that these Israelites were in then because of our sin and our rebellion and our pride against God. We've looked to other things, other people, other processes, other resources for our safety and security and our prosperity. And in doing so, see, what we've done is we've made ourselves vulnerable to the enemy. And our, as our plans and securities have failed us, the enemy, who's always on the prowl, and we know that, was ready to pounce and ultimately place us in spiritual bondage. And so you might have a house today, but you don't have a home. You might have a bank account full of money, but you're spiritually and mentally and emotionally bankrupt. You might have a busy schedule, but you're really very lonely. You might have a spouse, but you don't have a marriage. You might have kids and a dog, but you don't have a family. And perhaps it's because of pride and rebellion against God. Now, do you want to hear some good news? Okay, that was a lot of bad news. That was a lot of bad news. God in his grace extended a very appealing invitation to his people. And by God's grace, he extends the very same invitation to you today. The title of this message is called a grand invitation. And I want to show you three invitations that God has given us and then two reminders that he gives us in Isaiah 55. Are you all ready to dive in? All right. I'm going to ask you if you'll stand in the honor of reading of God's word. And then uh, we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth of this passage to us and for him to have his way. And then we'll get reading. Okay. So, Father, the, the context of this message now has been has been set. And it's it's a difficult one. And maybe one that in a hard way we've we've pictured ourselves in this place spiritually. So, Lord, wherever we are today, would you meet us where we are? Draw near to us as we draw near to you. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Have your way in this message. And Lord, I empty myself. before you, and I ask that you fill me to overflowing to deliver good food to your people. I cannot speak another word without you, so I'm asking you desperately to do what only you can do. Work in our lives. Thank you for your presence here. That's already been so very strong. Hover over us, God. Remove any distractions. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, remain standing. Here we go. Chapter 55, starting in verse 1. Listen carefully. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love that I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the people. I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know and people unknown to you will come running to obey because I, the Lord, your God, the Holy One have Israel. I have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow comes down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere that I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song, and the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name, and they will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. If you're taking notes, here is point number one of a grand invitation. Here's the first part of the invitation is to receive blessings, to receive blessings. I want you to look back at verses one and two. He says, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest fruits. Now he raises the question that stuck out to me. Are you thirsty? See, that's a significant question to me. Because only if you're thirsty... Will you come to the water? If, if you're not thirsty for what the Lord can give you, it will be of no consequence to you what he just said. You, you won't come. 
if you're not thirsty. See, the truth is the invitation to receive the Lord's blessing, it's for anyone, but it is not for everyone. You follow me? It's for everyone, but it is not for anyone. Only those who are thirsty. God's invitation to his people then is the same invitation to you. Do you know how I know that? Because Jesus said the same thing in John 7, 37. It says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And what's the word? And drink. Yeah, you're gonna have to wake up. Isaiah 12, 3 says, with joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Who's the source of salvation? Jesus Christ is the source of salvation. Why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this? Because here's the reality. Often we will freely take the gift of eternal salvation from Jesus, but what we don't realize is salvation, there's a package deal that it all comes together. See, not only is salvation do we receive Christ as our Savior for uh, uh, to uh, secure us for eternity, to one day spend eternity in heaven with him, so salvation for eternity, but salvation has all of the blessings of God included. See, often we'll take eternity and we'll walk away and we'll leave everything else on the table. We'll leave all of his blessings there on the table and ignorantly and futilely look for water everywhere else but where it's found. If you, any of you have ever run a race, I've run a couple of 5Ks because, you know, I'm an athlete. And that's what athletes do. But if you <laughs> if you run a race, you'll know you 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 sign up for the race, you get your number, you get marked. All right, follow me. You get marked, you get a number. The race begins, and along the course of the race, especially if it's a lengthy one, I don't if you've ever run, you know there's water stations along the way. You 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 know what I'm talking about. And you're running and there's people there handing you water. It's like, here you, here you want water? And you just, you don't really stop. You just run by, you grab your water, you drink it, and you throw it, and then they, they pick up the tray. But you just keep going. All right. So suppose you do that and you're watering, you're, you're running by a water station in the race. You're marked, you're running in the race. And, and they say, water right here. And you go, no, thanks. No, thanks. I'm good. I'm going to stop off at the store right around the corner and I'm going to get a Coke because a Coke will satisfy my thirst on this marathon. And the person handing out the water looks at you like you're crazy and says, why would you get a Coke? Why would you slow yourself down? Why would you detour from the race to stop and get a Coke when a Coke won't satisfy you? It will cost you money and I've got water free for you. And that's really what your body needs. That's really what you need. See, that's what he's saying here in this passage. And, he, and he's saying, it's all free. The water that I give you, it's free. If you'll come, if you're thirsty, come drink. The water, the wine, the milk, he talk, it's the food. It's all free for you running the race. See, now this was an appealing conversation that Isaiah was having with uh, these desolate Israelites. That's why I painted the picture I did. 
See, it was an incredible gesture to them, all that they had gone through over those uh, nearly 60 years in captivity. Now they've come back because God, God had chosen them already. They were marked. They had a number, but they had taken it for granted, the blessings of his covenant with them. They had taken it for granted. They had passed by the water. Instead, they chose their own way in their pride and it snagged them. And they spent years in bondage. Now God in his grace has now come to them when they're at the end of themselves. These people are at the end. They have nothing. And he says, hey, if you're thirsty, I've got water for you. If you're thirsty, I've got water for you. Do you sense in any way the grace and the love of God in this gesture? See, it's a grand invitation for them and for us. See, Jesus is saying the same thing to me and you. He wants to meet you right where you are and see the invitation is for everyone, but only those who are done with themselves, who are at the end, who have no other alternative, nowhere else to go, no plan B. Those are the ones who will take him up on his offer and come and drink. Those are the ones. So where are you? Where are you? Are you even thirsty enough to receive God's blessings? If you are, there's a second invitation that he gives here. Number two, not only does he say, receive my blessing, come and drink, but he says the invitation is to be supernaturally led. The invitation is to be supernaturally led. Now look at verse three, Isaiah 55, three. He says, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen. He's talking about spiritual ears here. And you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you and I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I use him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know and peoples unknown to you will come running to obey because I, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel have made you glorious. Now, there are two bandwidths. There are two bandwidths. There's the flesh bandwidth and the spiritual bandwidth. Your ears are tuned to one or the other. See, God is saying, incline, in some translations, he says, incline your ears or tune, fine-tune your ears to the Spirit, and you'll hear something wonderful. You'll hear something wonderful. Now, when he says, listen, and you'll find life, when he says that, he doesn't mean just hear what's being said. But this word, listen, in the original language, it means to listen intelligently with the implication to pay close attention and obey. That's what that word means. Have you ever been talking to a child and you need them to really pay attention to what you're saying? And so you say, come here, and you grab them by the face gently you gently grab them by the face and you get down on their level and you say i really need for you to hear i need you to listen to what i'm about to say to you because it's really really important 
I need you to hear me. See, what you're saying to them is, don't just hear my voice speaking. I need you to focus in and listen to what I'm saying to you. See, what you're asking for focus, you're asking for intentionality. That's what this passage is saying. If you're thirsty and you want to drink the blessings that I have to offer you, you must first come to me ears wide open, spiritual ears wide open. You must be tuned in to my voice and you need to focus on what is being said with the intention that you're going to follow the instructions that are being given to you. Now, here's the question. How do we tune our ears? How do we fine tune our ears? I'm going to answer that question for you. Now, he says, listen, and you'll find life. Now, my mind goes to a couple of places when I heard that. First, in John 6, 33, he says, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, give us this bread every day. Give it to us every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he says later in John 6, 63, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Okay, the spirit alone. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very word I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, Jesus, Jesus is, we know this, Jesus is the word of God made flesh. You with me? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. The word of God is heard and understood through the enablement of the spirit of God. True? Okay. The tuning of the ears, the listening that gives life comes through two ways. Two ways. Submission to the Holy Spirit of God, yielding and hearing his voice, and allowing him to illuminate the word of God so that you can know how to live in obedience and relationship with the Lord. Submission to the Spirit of God, time in the Word of God. That's the way you tune your spiritual ears. Now, John 6.63 says, human effort accomplishes nothing. Now, he's talking about in the Spirit. In other words, I want you to hear me. We can get up every morning and read from the Bible. We can. And it is possible that nothing would accomplish, that it would accomplish nothing in our lives except maybe some knowledge. That is possible. Because it is only the Spirit of God who illuminates the Scripture and guides into the truth of it and makes it living water to drink. Did you know that? See, the Spirit of God is the thirst quencher. He's the thirst quencher. 
And it's all by way of salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ. All this comes through in this package of salvation. See, these were God's people and they were needing God's provision. They were needing his leadership. So he's saying, okay, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you tuned in? Because I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you something that's going to be life-giving to you. I'm going to tell you something. And then he says this in, in three, the second part of verse three through five, he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love that I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples, made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you don't know. The peoples unknown to you will come running to obey because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Now, prophetically, Isaiah is talking about Christ here. That's what he's talking about. But it was, it was, has the characterization of the covenant with David. Uh, see the uh, Edemic covenant, the Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. These were all types and shadows of Christ's covenant that you and I are living under. You follow me with that? So all the covenants that were happening in the Old Testament, the way that God related to his people in the Old Testament scripture, they were all, all pointing to the person of Christ. And where we are right now. Okay. So if you're in Christ, if you're saved, you're under an everlasting covenant with God. Through Christ, we will be blessed for a purpose and a blessing. What he's saying is if you listen and obey, if you're listening and obey, you tune your ears, I will lead you. As David led the people of Israel, I will send Christ to lead you. That's what he's saying. Through him, I will forgive you. I will restore you. I will set you apart. You will be blessed. You will be free. You won't have to wander around and you won't have to wonder about anything. The word, Jesus says, he would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Supernatural leadership. As David was supernatural leadership for Israel, Christ is supernatural leadership for us. Here's the grand invitation number three, to be forgiven, to be forgiven. Now, verse six says this, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. Now, he says, seek the Lord while you can find him and call on him while he is near. And the question that popped to me is, well, what does that even mean? What does that mean? Does it mean that God will hide himself at some point? The answer to that question is no. Uh, God will never hide. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. And he wants to be in relationship with his people. We know that about his character. He, he's, he's never hid himself from his people. But Isaiah is impressing here an urgency on God's people. God can be found right now. God can be found right now. Now is the time. Now is the time. Here's the truth. God never moves, but it's the spirit of God who opens our spiritual eyes and our hearts to the things of God. 
if your heart is inclined at all to look for him, that's the goodness of God in your life. That's grace. If your heart is inclined at all to look to God at, at some level, that's the grace of God. That's the work of the Spirit of God. Scripture says in Romans 2, 4, he says, or do you have no regard for the wealth of his kindness and tolerance for patience and withholding his wrath? Are you actually unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness, look at this, God's kindness leads you to repentance. That is to change your inner self, your old way of thinking, seek his purposes for your life. Now, when the spirit of God moves on a person's life and it comes when they come to salvation or to a deeper walk with him when when the spirit of god comes to you and says taste and see that the lord is good or come and drink when he does that when an invitation from the spirit is given to us and you do not accept the invitation we grieve the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is, is grieved. And when we grieve the Spirit of God, our hearts harden to the things of God. So instead of being soft, moldable clay in the, in the potter's hands, when we stiff arm, then that clay starts to dry out just a little bit. See, when it's untouched by the potter, you see what I'm saying? it begins to dry out just a little bit. And then if we continue to stiff arm and he's not molding us, we're not allowing him to do that, it's, it gets a little harder and then a little harder and then a little harder and then a little harder. God's invitation never goes away. But after years of turning down the invitation, you likely won't even pay attention to it much anymore. And when you're not even paying attention, you won't be seeking, and then you, you won't be in a place to receive the blessings that he has promised. It's not that he's not blessing. It's just that we're not partaking. It's not that he's not saying, come and drink. It's just that we're bypassing it and going our get our something else. Well, then what happens if I've been, if I've been ignoring the Lord and he's been calling, how can I see him and hear him again? Well, look at verse seven, Isaiah 55, verse seven. And this, see, this is the grace of God. He says, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong and let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. Now, let me ask you this. Who is the wicked? All of us. Anyone who has ever rebelled against God. Who, who has rebelled against God? All of us. And what does it say? It says, let them turn to the Lord. 
Now, does that word turn mean anything to you out of scripture? What does the word turn mean? What does that mean? It means repent. That's exactly what it means. Now, we get confession and repentance mixed up. We've watered it down in our Western culture. Confession, repentance. Confession, and I want you to write this down if you, if you want to. If you don't, it'll hurt my feelings, but I'll get over it. Confession says, I did it, I was wrong. I did it, I was wrong. I, I did this, whatever it is, I was wrong. Repentance says, I'm choosing to do things your way. You see the difference? See, someone can confess their sins, but never repent. You can say, I did this, I was wrong, but never turn and say, I'm going to do things your way. It's like when you look, when you sin, and you look to God and you say, oh, my bad, my bad. See, but what happens is we get into this confession, my bad, and then sin again, and then this uh, confession, my bad, my bad, God, that was, my, that was on me. And then we do it again. And oh, my bad, I did that. Yep, I did that again. I did it again. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's this pattern. We get in this pattern. All of us at some point have been in this pattern of some level. And there's no benefit of salvation that Jesus brings within that pattern. You're just acknowledging it, but you're still in the same sin pattern. And when we say, oh, my bad, oh, my, oh, my, uh, it's my bad, God, uh, forgive me, please. Do you know what I think he says to us? I think he says, yes, it was your bad, and I already did. It was, well, yes, it was, and I already did forgive you. See? And when we do that over and over and over again, just like Israel did that over and over again, and we find ourselves after a while in captivity, just like Israel, just like God's people, wandering around and lost as a bat. And God is saying to you, here's the grace. He's saying, are you thirsty? If you're tired of that lifestyle, I'm my bad. I'm in it again. I'm my bad. I did it again. My bad. I did it again. If you're tired of that lifestyle, if you're truly tired, the invitation is for repentance. That's the invitation. First John 1 19 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that verse. Did you know what confess means in this verse? Did you know it literally means to declare that you're guilty of what you're accused of and implying the yielding or changing of your conviction. In that one word in this passage, he's talking about confess and turn. In other words, yes, I I confess that you are right and I am wrong and I am committing to you to change my direction. I change my mind to agree with what you're saying. I'm yielding to your authority over my life. See, that kind of confession, that kind, I want you to hear me, that kind of confession will never be passive or aloof. But that kind of confession, like 1 John says, will be from a heart broken and contrite before the Lord. 
You cannot look at a holy God and mean it and be aloof and passive in your repentance. And if you approach God that way, he will reject it. Do you know why? Because he says, it is a broken and contrite heart that I accept. And I'm begging you today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. If the spirit of God is working and dealing with you, if that window is open, do not harden your heart to him. Accept his invitation for forgiveness for your sins against him. Now, those are the invitations. Here's the reminders. He has a reminder within these invitations. He's like, so if you accept my invitation, if you're going to come to my party, if you're going to come, here's number four. He's saying, I have a different way of thinking. Just know if you're going to come to my party, I got a different way of thinking than you do. Okay, now verse eight and nine says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Oh, I love this part of the chapter. I love it. I mean, this is, mm. and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine for just as high as the heavens are than the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, we get into a lot of trouble when we think that God should respond and act like we think he should. See, because we're, we're, we're here's the deal. Because we're made in the image of God, uh, we can relate to God's thoughts in, at some level, but we cannot think the way he thinks. We can't know what he knows. And God is saying to his people, I don't think the way you think. I don't think, and I, and I don't act the way you act. See, God does things his way whether we like it or not. Let me remind you, he is the creator. We are the created. And if you have a problem with God's order in his word and the truth of his word, you have a problem with God. You have a problem with God being God. It's a belief problem. See, that's the, what the world has. Now, by glorious means in Jesus Christ, enter Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, his spirit working, our thoughts can be transformed to be more like God's thoughts. You following me? Through Jesus, our thoughts can be transformed to be more like God's thoughts. Here are just a few verses that back that up. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, meaning that the veil has been lifted, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed, meaning we're turning into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So we're puddle jumping from glory to glory. As we experience the glory of God and we gain strength by, by faith, we gain strength, we puddle jump to the next. And then we get to, we get to experience the glory of God here and we grow in glory and the grace of God. And then we grow and we get to jump into a, a, a more of God's grace and understanding of who he is. And little by little, our eyes are open to who he is. That's the work of sanctification. That's what he takes us through from the moment we say yes to him until one day we see him face to face. 
but he's telling us, I think differently than you do. It is not to discourage us from seeking him in any way, but it's to keep us humble as we seek him. See, when you're coming to the Lord and you seek him with all your heart, you will find that he requires things that you might not understand. There's some things he requires for my life that I don't, I haven't always agreed with, but he's required for me. If we remember that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and we yield to his ways, here's the deal. You will be blessed for that. You will be blessed. So that's the reminder. That's the reminder. The fifth reminder and the final reminder in this passage. He's saying, if you're going to come to my party, remember, I don't think like you do. Okay. If you're going to come and if you're going to come and drink, if you're going to come and eat, I don't think like you think. But the other thing is you're going to have to let my word operate in your life. If you're going to come to my party, you're going to have to let the word operate. I'm telling you, this is a jam-packed invitation. It's jam-packed. Look at verse 10, Isaiah 55, 10. It says, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Look at this. Verse 11, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You know what that means? This means that God is not just talk. When God talks, he accomplishes his intended purpose. The word of God, the word of God has power. Yes or no? Yes. That's why when the word of God is proclaimed through the power and anointing of the spirit of God, put those two together, supernatural things can happen. See, God uses his word to create and to transform things. That's the way he's always used his word. Always, always, always. God just doesn't speak to hear himself talk. He doesn't speak mysteries just to blow our minds, make us feel good when we come to the church house and send us packing to get back into the world. He doesn't speak to confuse us. The word of God is not suggestive in its course. It speaks to accomplish a purpose. Now, let's just talk for a second. Let's just just sit down in front of the table. Come on, let's just sit down. When it comes to the proclamation of the word, the teaching of the word, which God has given that he's chosen the church to be his mouthpiece to the world, we'll say. Um, if a person, and I'm talking about a, a pastor here or a teacher, is who is proclaiming the word of God, either dilutes the word or obscures it or misinterprets an application of the word. All right, now, that may result in, in very little truth being set before the people. See, I feel like as, as a steward of the word, see, I'm a, I, I feel like that I'm 
my job is to go into the kitchen and get what the, the cook has prepared and he plates the food. And I feel like my job is to take the food, come out of the kitchen and come up to the table and serve the food that the cook has prepared in as close a condition as the cook prepared it in the kitchen. That's what I feel like that my job is, that every pastor is when they stand behind the pulpit, is that they give good food. It doesn't come from me. It comes from, hopefully it's coming from the kitchen. That's why I say, we joke about it in here, but when I say it's a good sermon, I'm not talking about anything I do. I'm talking about what God's saying. The, the food that he's cooking up, that's good, see? And it's my job to steward that to you. Now, we know when, 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 when a pastor or someone who, steward, in some way, some manner, for whatever reason, they don't do a great job, okay? Uh, it, it may result in really not appetizing food on the plate when you get it, or, or things might be scrambled around a little bit. You get what I'm saying. Bad preaching, okay, and I hope you don't, include me in this, but if you do, okay. But bad preaching can be annoying and frustrating. Yes. And it can be an obstacle for the word going forth. Can be an obstacle. Won't stop it. Can be an obstacle. Uh, And there are people, let's just be honest, that hold the office of pastor, but they are not called or anointed by God to steward the preaching and rightly divide the word of God. You know what I'm talking about? There are just preachers that stand up and just speak nonsense. Now, here's the truth. I want you to follow me. Bad preaching, false teachers, obscure preaching. We must be aware of them and sober-minded about it. Jesus gives us fair warning in Scripture that they're going to come, and they'll come even more so, even more as the days get closer to his return. Okay? So... But it's it's coming and it's already here. But I want you to hear me. It cannot and will not stop the word of God from going forth and operating unless you let it stop the word. Do you want to know why? You want to know why? Because the spirit of God, this is good. The spirit of God is indwelling in you. And Jesus is the mediator and the great high priest. And you have direct access to God as the priesthood of the believer. Good preaching in the church house, as refreshing and satisfying as it is, is just a cherry on top. The Holy Spirit, however, is the proclaimer of the word of God to every believer. If you're in the word, guess what? He's going to preach to you and you'll get the finest preaching from the Holy Spirit that you've ever heard in your life. See, if, if all you get of the word is from the pulpit on Sunday morning, if you're dependent on this preacher to be your priest, then you will let what that preacher says regulate for you. And give them, you see, what you do is you give them the power, whoever you, whoever that preacher is, you give them the power to potentially stop the word from operating in your life. That's what you do. If you completely depend on who's standing here. Now, anecdotally, 
Have you ever been reading scripture and worshiping and praying in the spirit personally and privately and the Holy Spirit then just invades your time? I mean, it just invades your time and in, in the word and he just starts speaking and you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, Lord have mercy. And you're dancing around looking for a pen. I got to write that down. And he's just downloading on you and he's proclaiming the word to you. See, I love it when that happens. I love it when that happens. I, I long, then when I go into the prayer closet, I'm like, God, I want you to speak to me today. I'm not coming out of this closet until I hear your voice. Because not only does it bless me personally, but I usually get a good sermon out of it. Now, the other way that we won't let the word operate is we often have the sin of disbelief that the word is enough. We, see, we don't believe often that the word is enough. You follow me? Or we're too impatient or we're just ignorant to the power and the purpose of it. See, you can hear the word, but not hear the word. You can do that. Hebrews 4.2 says, For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who, what's the word? Listened to God. You get what he's saying? You get where I'm going? See, in other words, just because you we hear and agree with the truth doesn't mean that we've believed and accepted it at a heart level. You could be here today and, and I've preached the truth of the word of God. I mean, scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture to you today. And you could be here and you could have heard every word of it. But if you've not believed at a heart level, if you've not, if you've not, if the Holy Spirit hadn't gotten right in your face with it, it's possible you could hear every word that's spoken and leave here and unchanged. See, the, when the word is doing its work in the life of a believer, you will see transformation. You will see transformation. See, you'll go from drinking the milk, the basics of understanding. You'll go from that, you will, to chewing on the meat, uh, meaning going deeper into the recesses. Deep calls into deep, by the way. The deeper you go, the deeper he calls you. The deeper you desire to go with him, guess what? The invitation, he keeps backing up. He says, you want more? Come on, more. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Deep calls to deep. And then, see, what happens is, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a litmus test for you. Instead of being in that place where you're constantly needing to be fed, oh, I just need, I need to be fed, I need to be, I need to be encouraged today, I ain't going to make it. See, and you're, you're, see, what happens is, instead of being in a place where you're just constantly receiving, you're going to be maturing and developing in your gifts, and you're, then you'll use your gifts to help train and teach others. See, there becomes a inflection point at some point. 
There becomes a time in a baby's life when they're getting the nutrients, they're resting, they're getting everything that they need, they're drinking the milk, they're getting everything that they need to grow, but there's a point where they grow into a place and they start to crawl. And then they start to pull themselves up. And then they start to eat solid foods. And then they start to walk. And then they start to talk. And then they start to become independent. And they start on their journey. It's the same way with us spiritually. It's the same way. That's what the, that's what the Spirit of God does. That's what the Word of God does when we let it work in our lives. It will transform you. It will transform you. He loves us too much to keep us where we are. But not only that, I'm going to tell you what else the Word of God is. The Word of God is a world-class surgeon. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the Word of God is living. And that means it's vital, it's powerful in itself. And active means that's effect, it's effective in its purpose. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I underline that. And piercing even to dividing the soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and quick to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. He's talking about the Word of God. The word, the word for sword here, if you look it up, is a knife or an instrument for exact cutting. Now, what do we call a knife intended for exact cutting in the hands of a physician, a scalpel. Who's the great physician? Jesus is. See, a physician takes skillful care to find what is wrong and cut it out or fix it and then put everything back together. That's the work of the word of God. And according to Hebrews, it's powerful and effective in its work. And if we let it do its work, we will receive the blessing. Isaiah 55, 12, and I'm done. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song and the trees of the fields will clap their hands where there once were thorns. Look at this, where there once were thorns. Think about your life. Think about it. Where there once were thorns, cypress trees will grow. You, you get what he's saying there? Has anybody ever lived in a, in a world of thorns? Yeah. Where there once were thorns, now, I want you to think over your life. I want you to think about the pain, the dry spells, those desolate places. He says, I'll take those moments and I'm going to produce a life-giving tree that produces fruit. He said, where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They're for his glory. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. See, God is extending a great invitation to his people. Do you see that in this passage? See, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Drink, be blessed, be filled. An invitation to be supernaturally led, to be forgiven. And then he says, when you get here, when you come to my party, just know I've got a different way of thinking. Let my word operate in your life. And when his people turn to him and listen to him and let the word work in their lives, joy and peace and growth, maturity, fruit will be what we always experience in him. That's the result. That's the result. That's the grand invitation.